Did you guys enjoy that? Yeah. It's a lot of fun, right? A lot of fun. Makes me want to go. We need a bigger stage, man. We got to move this. We got to remodel this place and put it. You know, that was awesome. So we're talking about Christmas. In case you didn't know that, if you're new and you didn't realize, man, it's Christmas. I didn't know it's Christmas. Yeah, it's Christmas. So I'm going to talk to you guys this morning a little bit about um, just not just the story of Jesus, but I want to talk to you about Christmas from heaven's perspective. There's a lot of perspectives about Christmas. The mall has a perspective about Christmas, right? Everybody has a different perspective. Our culture tends to see it as a, a time of consumerism, a time of gifts. Gifts are wonderful. All of that stuff is great. But if we don't understand the reason behind the gifts or we don't understand the purpose behind the gifts, then all we're really doing is just spending money and giving it for no particular reason at all. You know what I'm saying? It's happy holidays. We don't even sing songs about Jesus. We've kind of missed the reason for Christmas. So it's real important, especially for Christians and for those who don't know Jesus but are family members and you've come here to understand that there is a reason for Christmas. And it's not so much about giving gifts because it, it, the gifts are important, but we need to understand the gift that's been given to us. And so we're going to talk about Christmas from heaven's perspective. So I'm going to read for you Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, and we're going to break this down for you a little bit. It's talking about Jesus here. Who being in the form of God, did not think it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took on the form of a servant and made himself in the likeness of men. Then Jesus being found, they're partying in there. Jesus being found in the fashion of men, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And because of this, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and things of the heaven and things of the earth and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord from, to, to the glory of God the Father. So what this is telling us is it's telling us that God came down. That is the message of Christmas from heaven's perspective. Heaven's perspective is the king left his throne. Deity took on humanity. Jesus became like us in order that we could become like him. Jesus came for us in order that we could come back unto him. The Bible tells us this. In case you didn't know this, and in case you were wondering, Jesus is God. He's not a God. He's not one among many. He's not a good person. He's God. He's the one and only. That's true. So the Bible tells us Father, Son, and Spirit, co-equal, triune Godhead. The Bible tells us that he is the perfect representation of the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's perfect theology. Anything you ever want to know about Jesus or about God, you need to look at Jesus. That tells you everything you need to know about God. And one of the things that happens when Jesus was on the earth and he was presenting himself and revealing himself is it showed all the misconceptions and all the contradictions that people had about God himself. They thought God was harsh. They thought God was unloving. They expected him to come like a king. He came as a servant. They expected so many things of him. And what Jesus did not do was meet human expectations. They said, he said, what shall I liken this generation to? We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang mournful songs and you didn't cry. You didn't dance to our tune, Jesus. That's why they rejected him. You didn't come like we wanted you to. You didn't do the things that we wanted you to. God's plan's a lot higher than man's. I don't know if you know that or not. God's purposes are a lot higher than man's. They wanted him to come in pride. They wanted him to come in arrogance. They wanted him to salute all of the wonderful things that they had developed, but they did not understand him at all. 
He came to serve. He came beneath man in order to lift man up. The Bible tells us that He is God. Make no mistake. He's not an angel. He's not one among many. He's not co-equal. Him and the devil are just not in this eternal grudge match. Nobody can save you but Jesus. Mormonism can't save you. Krishna can't save you. Islam can't save you. Nothing can save you. Your good works can't save you. Only Christ can. That's why He came. The Bible says, A virgin shall be with child and will bring forth a son, and His name will be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. So heaven is telling us God has come down and God is with us. The Creator made Himself a body. Fully God, fully man. What the heck does that mean? Well, that's the mystery, isn't it? It's called the Incarnation. God is able to make himself and turn himself into a man. He made himself a body and came as us. That's the mystery. But Hebrews tells us this, that he is the express image of his person, upholds all things by the word of his power, and when he had purged our sins, sits down at the right hand of the, of, of the, of the majesty. What it's telling us is the king left his throne, humbled himself, became like us, came underneath us, fulfilled the mandate, and now has been exalted back to the right hand of God. This is who He is. Jesus is God. That's the first message of Christmas, is God came down. Next slide. What did He do? He left His throne. Deity became humanity. This is important to know. Jesus left His glory. What is glory? Glory isn't some shining light. That is the weight and the substance of His personhood. Jesus left the weight and the substance of his personhood. The eternal king, the eternal creator, God Almighty, left his throne and became like us and denied the glory of who he was and came as us. He left the weight of his personhood. Isaiah says this, He grew up before him as a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. Christ, speaking of Jesus, 600 years before, 300 years before this ever was fulfilled. He had no beauty or majesty in him to attract us and nothing about his appearance that we should desire him. In other words, he didn't glow in the dark. You know what I'm saying? You wouldn't recognize him in a crowd. He didn't float from place to place. What testified of his deity was his words and his deeds. His appearance, his Armani, you know, none of that told you who he was. He was known by what he spoke and he was known by what he did. But his appearance, didn't, no, nobody would even know. That's why there was all this contradiction. So when Jesus appears on the Mount of Transfiguration, those of you that know the story, he takes Peter, James, and John up onto a mountain, right? Okay? And so when he takes them up there, he transfigures himself. Why, when I'll tell you what that means in a second. But what he was doing is he's getting ready to go to the cross. So he's commissioning and he's going to release the kingdom back to the apostles or back to the disciples, and he does not want them to confused about who he really is. He had spent three and a half years testifying, revealing, showing himself to them through many different things, but he says, I want you to be crystal clear who I am. And so he goes up onto the mountain, and the Bible says he transfigures himself into the fullness of his identity. And Peter starts tripping. Peter's like, what? No way, this is awesome. We need to stay here forever. We're going to build a house. We're not just going to build a house. Let's build three houses. There's Moses, there's Elijah, this is crazy. Let's all stay here because the glory was manifested. I tell the story of my nephew. We took him to Disney World for the first time, right? And uh, he lives in the country, grew up in the country, never seen anything like anything that's, you know, we probably take for granted. Took him into Disney World and he just went like this. 
He like locked up, man, totally froze, mouth open. I'm like, you with us, Noah? He's just like, <laughs> it's probably whatever. All the other disciples were like, oh, this is crazy. He showed them who he really is. But he set aside the weight of his substance. God's not interested. He's not going to show up with a flashlight. He wants you to be hungry for him. The things of God are hidden and revealed. The Bible says that it is the glory of God to conceal it. It is the glory of kings and queens to search it out. He doesn't cast pearls before swine. He's not going to testify openly and proclaim himself in manifested glory. He's going to allow people to hunger for him. And he will reveal himself to you as you hunger for him. That's how he does it. What did he set aside? He set aside his glory. He set aside the weight of his substance, the weight of who he was. You know, we see a lot of pictures, and Jesus has got a halo. It looks like a flashlight, right? You know, a lot of the, the Renaissance paintings, beautiful paintings, amazing paintings. And Jesus is always walking around, you know, he's holding up three fingers, however he did that, you know, making sure everybody knew he was a tri, you know, all this stuff. And all those things are beautiful, but if you were really to encounter him on the street, you wouldn't really find anything interesting about him. You wouldn't. And that's what you see, that they were so confused. How can this ordinary guy be this? Even his hometown people were really freaked out because they, he grew up with them. And he's like, who's this guy? You know, he, who's he think he is? I knew him. He grew up here. He was God in the flesh. He revealed through his miracles. He revealed through his words. He set aside his personal, he set aside his glory. He set aside his personal authority. This is important. Jesus willfully submitted himself unto the Father on the earth. The Son of Man can do nothing of Himself. But what He sees the Father do, He does. Son of Man does not speak on His own behalf. But what He hears the Father say, that He speaks. What that is, is it's a restoration of prophetic ministry. Christ came as us to restore back to us our ability to see what the Father is doing and our ability to hear in the Spirit. Man had lost that. Christ came as us. He in broke with it, submitted Himself unto the Father, and was wholly submitted and completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit. The miracles that he did, he did not do as God. It's important that you know that. He relied upon the presence and the power of the Spirit. He manifested the glory of God through the anointing and through the power of the Spirit. He didn't manifest bread because of God. He manifested bread because the Holy Spirit gave him the ability to do so in that form. He, he completely submitted himself under the authority. He set aside his deity completely. He died on the cross as a man. If he didn't die on the cross as a man... You and I are not saved because he died as God. First of all, God can't die, but he willed his own death. He set aside his personal authority. You say, does Jesus not have authority? Jesus has the highest authority now. He set aside his authority, humbled himself, came beneath man. Now, therefore, the Bible says he's highly exalted, sits at the right hand of the Father, and it tells us that all judgment is committed to the Son. There'll be a day of judgment. There'll be a day of reckoning and accountability for all of the human race. You and I, our, our judgment is based upon reward. Aren't you glad? Yes. It's not based upon deeds. Your sins have been forgiven. Now you go before him and it's based upon what you have done for him. How you walked in his destiny. How you walked in his purpose. It's called the Bema Seat. There's two thrones. Rainbow throne, white throne. The Bible speaks very clearly about it in Revelation. Jesus sits on the white throne, that's judgment. Judgment of the world, judgment of those who've rejected him. Judgment of those who've out, of, of broken and just decided they didn't want anything to do with him. The Father will not judge anyone, nor will the Spirit, the Son will judge. And he's the only one that's capable of judging because he has come as us. He came as a slave. 
Two Greek words in the Bible. One of them is called diakonos, which means table waiter. Okay? You all know table waiter. Some of you are going to go out to lunch and somebody's going to come over and take your order. They say millennials don't eat out at restaurants like that anymore. I don't know if there's any millennials in the room. Say, what's a millennial if you were born like between 1999 or, you know, I don't know, whatever, whatever the age group is. So they don't even, they're not even eating in restaurants where there's waiters, but in the restaurants where there are waiters, the waiter comes up and takes your order. The Bible would call that a diakonos, someone who serves you food or does that. But there's another word called doulos, and it means the lowest slave. Jesus, when he refers to himself, refers to himself as a, the Greek word translation is doulos. He took on the form of a slave. He went as low as he could go. He washed smelly feet. He touched lepers. He went to the unwanted, the unlovable. There was nothing beneath him. That's what he did. He went to the lowest point of humanity in order to lift us up. He lived as a slave. He died as a slave. He served as a slave. He died on a cross openly for you and me. He came to die. This is important too. So the king left his throne. God came down, became as us. The, our God submitted himself into our humanity and he submitted himself to the Father and he relied upon the Holy Spirit. He came to restore or to create a door back to the Father. Adam had created a way away. Jesus had come to create it back. So that's why he had to come in the flesh because we were lost from that point. He came to die. This is important. They don't know when Jesus was born. We celebrate it traditionally as December 25th. People are going to be like, what? Jesus' birthday isn't December 25th? No, it's a traditional day set by the church. Why? Because the Bible doesn't tell us a date. It tells us a season. It tells us a historical period of time. Octavius Caesar, this person was governor in the, in the 13th year of his reign. So it gives us a historical window and it gives us an understanding of a season. But it doesn't define a specific date when Jesus was born. And the reason was, is because the birth is not as important as the crucifixion. And the crucifixion, hello, is not as important as the resurrection. Amen. It's true. Come on. If Christ is still dead, we're not saved. If Jesus born, was born and just lived as a good man and went off and did whatever he wanted, we're not saved. So the birth is not as important as the crucifixion. We, know, we can pinpoint the day when he was crucified. We can pinpoint the, the day when he was resurrected. So we're not, there's nothing fuzzy historically about when Christ was crucified and resurrected, but it is open-ended when it comes to Christmas. So does Jesus have a problem with, with December 25th? He doesn't have a problem at all with it. He's into it, right? And inevitably, around this time of year, I usually get an email or I usually get somebody come up to me and you go, do you know, Pastor, uh, Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. I'm like, I know. <laughs> have a Cinnabon. We're good. We're all good. Everybody relax. You know, world's not going to end. He's into it. He favors it. He honors it because we're honoring him. Honor creates access. So we honor the Lord and he honors us in return. We get all uptight, man. We, you know, we need to chill a little bit. Okay? Can we chill? Can like, you know, we got, we got people that are really out there and there's no bounds to, to anything. And then we got these people over here that are so wound so tight that nobody can do anything. Like the holiness police. You know what I'm saying? You know, that she, oh, I can't believe there's a Christmas tree in the church. That's a demon pole. Why is it here? <laughs> I told you all last week, I got no problem with it. It's evergreen, eternal. My God is evergreen. He's eternal. Jesus died on a tree. Okay? He's the light of the world. He's a gift that came to die on a tree. Pick, pick something. There's plenty of connection here. But inevitably, you know, I've had a few YouTube videos sent to me lately. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm aware. It, it, it's not the point. 
You know, for freedom's sake, you may, all things are sanctified by the Word of God in prayer. Did you know that, Christian? It's sanctified by the Word of God in prayer. I know people, they want to put a... I have, I literally have people at this church that won't come to this church during Christmas time because they don't want to see a Christmas tree in a church. They're lost. Who said that? Somebody said that. There we go. They're lost. I'm serious, man. You know, so just, just the difference here is like Miami, we're like, hey, we don't care. Nobody cares. But there's certain contexts where that's like a big deal. I'm like, relax, man. Jesus came to die. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The purpose of Christ's coming was to die. Nobody takes my life. I give it away. They couldn't take it until he gave it. If you read the Gospels, there were multiple times when they wanted to kill him. Several times. They tried to kill him. Jesus walked right through him. Says, no, not going to happen until I give it away. He even asked him. He said, for what purpose do you seek to kill me? What good work? And they said, for a good work, we don't seek to kill you. But because you say you're God, we seek to kill you. He had no shame. He didn't have a problem telling everybody he was God. He didn't have a problem demonstrating himself as God. He didn't overtly say it because in that culture, the things that he said implied that he was God. The Jews knew what he was doing. When he said, your sins are forgiven, they're like, how can you say that? Are you God? And Jesus was like, <laughs> blind eyes. On and on. I and the Father are one. Before Abraham was, I am. All of those are divine statements. When he was crucified, he was crucified for blasphemy. That was his charge because he made himself equal with God. That's what the blasphemy charge was. They didn't crucify him for being Mr. Rogers. They didn't crucify him for being fairy Jesus. They crucified because he boldly came and said, I am God. I am the way, truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's true. Come on. We like it pluralistic. We like it politically correct. We like it friendly. Your way to God is fine as long as I have my way to God. It's your religion. It's your way. It's my way. No, uh-uh. I've got news for you. Something called ecumenicalism, which means all faiths are equal. Jesus is not ecumenical. And he doesn't have a problem with you having a problem with that. He doesn't have a problem with a government having a problem with that. He doesn't have a problem with different people groups. He stands boldly and proclaims, I am not one among many, I'm the one and only. I am the door. I am the way. There is none other. People go, well, I don't know. It's just, it's just not right. You know, we don't, you know, Jesus would never offend anybody. His name is the rock of offense, man. He's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. He offends man's pride. He offends man's ideology. When our world, our views, our attitudes, our actions are in conflict with him, he has no problem stepping in and offending you. <sighs> the things that he says to you that are difficult, we've talked about this for several weeks. I was just having a, a meeting with uh, actually two ministers, and I was talking with them, and he was asking me issues. And I said, you need to bring that to the Holy Spirit, and you need to ask him these questions, and you need to hold the chair and let him tell you what's wrong. What happens is, is we have problems and stumblings and we like to blind ourselves to our reality and Jesus will tell you what you don't know. Did you know that? He'll tell you what you're denying. Oh, that's not a problem. That's not a problem. That's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's like, that's a problem. <gasps> Holy Spirit told me it was a problem. We go run in a corner. We think he's mad at us. We think he's offended us. If you run from the correction of the Lord, you don't know you're loved. That's the point. We have to ask Jesus, let him tell us he's going to offend you. Right? There's going to be an offense, but then you lean into the offense and say, okay, well, how do I make that right? What is it that I'm supposed to do? What's the way out of this? What's the way forward? If you go run in a corner and suck your thumb every time Jesus says a harsh word to you, you don't know you're loved. 
faithful of the wounds of a friend. He tells you something because he loves you. He doesn't tell you something to distance himself from you. He tells you because he wants you to go higher and he wants you to go closer. And what he's doing is he's pointing out the problem. But we don't want that. We don't like any uncomfortability. We don't want Jesus to say anything to us that's uncomfortable. We have churches that teach this stuff. We don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. Don't make anybody uncomfortable. Don't, don't say anything that's uncomfortable to anyone in the group. Don't ever say anything like that. Really? Not running around trying to offend people, but dude, there are things in the Word that I have a personal problem with. I don't know. Anybody got some problems in the Bible? I mean, let's just be honest. No, I believe everything in that Word. I've never questioned one thing ever. Really? How about li- liar? Exactly. Hello. There's a lot of stuff, but I take it and submit it. I say, I don't know if I agree with this. I don't know if I'm, but whatever. I'm going to submit this, and I'm going to follow your way. That's how it works. Christ came to die for us. It's about the blood. He was slain on the Passover. Passover is a bloody day. I think this bears witness. We need to share this because this is important. Christ and, and the Passover, Jewish holiday, the Passover on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, they would, every household would have to bring a lamb. So whatever your family line was, that part of your family line, everybody had to bring a lamb. So if there were 100,000 families, that meant 100,000 lambs were sacrificed over two days. So there was a lamb for every household every year. And every year there was a lamb slain for the nation. They didn't kill one lamb on the mountain, people. They killed as many households as presented themselves before the Lord. So you can imagine for two days you have priests dressed in white, killing lambs, hanging the lamb upside down, jugulars extend, they, they, pierce, the, the, they pierce the neck with a, with a flint knife. The lamb dies very slowly, very peacefully. They're not like traumatizing it. The blood was captured in a basin. And the blood was poured out on the altars. All these different things that they had to do with it. But the mount would be slopped with blood. There's no way you're not going to spill blood. Right? You're sacrificing 100,000 lambs, and that's a safe estimate. I'm wearing white. White goes down to my feet. Probably by the end of the day, the blood would be up to my knees. My robe would be soaked in blood. I'd probably have it splattered on me. It'd probably be on my hands. What was the message? God was trying to impart a visual to the people. One, sin costs. Two, it's about the blood. Without the blood, you can't be reconciled. Not the blood of anybody, but the blood of Jesus. They have the Ark of the Testimony. They would keep it inside the temple. The priest on that day would sacrifice a lamb for the nation. So you had individual atonement, you had national atonement. When he sacrificed the lamb for the nation, he was required to take the blood into the Holy of Holies and strike the blood on the Ark. And he had to do it seven times, or whatever the number was. I believe it was seven, but he had to strike the blood on the Ark. And they did that for hundreds of years. So you can imagine what the Ark of Ark was called, Ark of the Testimony. People go, because it had the, the rod of Aaron, it had the, the budding staff, it had the manna, and it had the tables of the Ten Commandments. That's why it was the testimony. That, that doesn't tell me anything, because that stuff's inside. But if you were to look on the outside of the Ark, it would be caked with blood. Because centuries, hundreds of years, they had been sprinkling blood on that, on that Ark. And so when they would present the ark that testifies or the ark that speaks, what would the message be? It's about the blood. That's what he's talking about. So it's about the blood of Jesus. Christ came to die. He came to not just die, but to give his blood for you and for me. That's important to know. It's the greatest gift ever. If you never received that, you need to. You can, Christianity is not a spectator sport. You don't watch it. You engage it. You don't just watch it as it flows by and sit in a chair and just go, ooh. 
you got to give your life into Christ, and then you must become an active participant in his gospel. That's how it works. Next slide. He came to be raised in glory. He's a representation of humanity. He's the gate. He's the door. There's nobody higher. Aren't you glad? Christians, you shouldn't be confused this morning, man. There should be no confused of whether you're saved or you're not saved. There's no confusion. There should be none. The Bible says that he is able to save us to the uttermost. There's two types of sin. There's harmatia and harmatano. One is the sin of offense. The other is sin of misdirection. Christ removes the sin of offense. The sin of offense is the sin of condemnation. Christian sin. Can I get a witness? Oh, we act like we don't, but we do. Right? The sin that condemns you is the one that says, I don't need Jesus. I don't need God. To offend means to push away. That's the sin that leaves man in condemnation. When you come to Christ, the sin of condemnation is removed from your life. And now you are able, now you, you sin, you do things, but that sin does not condemn you. There is therefore now no condemnation. Is that not a verse? Right? Is that a poem? No, that's a promise. When I'm in Christ, I am not condemned ever, anyway, anyhow. But what my sin does is it misdirects me off of my destiny. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. My sin doesn't condemn me, but my sin certainly isn't going to profit me. It's probably going to take me somewhere I don't want to go. It's going to put me in a bondage I don't want to be in. There are Christians that are in bondage. Oh, I'm free, Pastor. You might be free spiritually in eternity, but you're bound emotionally. You're bound circumstantially. There's a lot of bondages that go beyond salvation. Can I get a witness? This is what it's all about. So you need to understand. And so what the devil does is we sit and God, and he brings in the condemnation. Oh, look at you. God doesn't love you. You shouldn't go to church. Look at you. He just pounds us down with condemnation. You better run to the altar. That's why we've got churches, people getting saved every other week. You know, it's like, weren't you up here last week? Didn't you give your life to Jesus last week? Yeah, but I need it again. I went out and I don't understand. I got to get saved again. No, what? You know, no, you need your feet washed like Peter. Those who have been cleansed do not need to be cleansed again. Their feet need to be washed. Peter didn't need to be wholly cleansed again. He had already committed his heart to Christ and received that, that to him. What he needed is he needed his feet to be washed from the places that he was walking in. Totally different story. Totally different understanding of sin. Church can't get it right. We can't, we can't figure it out. We can't figure it out. It's in the scriptures. It's in the Greek. The one that says offend means a hero has fallen. A hero has been pushed off the mark. So man thinks that they pushed God away. We pushed ourselves away. The Greek word that means to offend means we had hero status. That's what it means. God created you heroically as sons and daughters with status. And then we said, well, we're going to push God away. And when we went to push God away, well, he is going to move. You fell. Man fell off the mark and the hero has fallen. And Christ, the hero, the true hero, has come to restore you back to your rightful place as sons and daughters, heirs, eternal promises, all of that. And he sets you in line with your destiny. And now your choices, according to his purposes and plans, determines your destiny. If you choose away from it, you're going to go off track. That's the second sin, to miss the mark. That's the one we talk about all the time. That is not relating to the sin of condemnation. There's a theological problem here that the church has to correct. We say sin has missed the mark. That is not the sin that he's talking about. You're missing the mark. No, you've offended God. That's the sin of condemnation is the offense. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has gone to us to our own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. The offense of going our own way. 
the offense of saying, I don't need Christ, the offense of saying, there's many ways to God, I can do it myself, I'm saved, I do my good works, I did my catechism, oh, I went to, I went to the temple today, I went to the mosque, and I, you know, church is just the same thing. Says who? Who told you that? You're completely confused. Christ is the only way. The angel said to him, this is now we go into here, we go here, there's nobody higher than Jesus. He's the gate, the door, the way. He's the portal into the presence of God. He's the way home. The angel said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good, say this with me, good news, great joy, all people. So here's the story. I just got to tell you this because this is important. Some of you are going to really enjoy this. Because you feel so far from God, you feel like God doesn't love you. How could God possibly see me? He sees you, he sees them, he doesn't see me. Really? Shepherds were the outcasts of that society. They were raising the lambs that were being sacrificed. So they're near Bethlehem. Bethlehem's the house of bread. Christ was born in the house of bread in a place where they raised the Passover lambs. Isn't that interesting? What a coincidence. And so the shepherds, were being ra- the shepherds would raise the lambs. There was a big shepherding community there because it was only six miles from Jerusalem. So when they had to bring the lambs to slaughter or they had to bring the lambs to sacrifice, they didn't have to go far. But shepherds were considered outcasts. They were unwanted. You take care of the offerings, but man, you guys are unclean. You're not able to come into the congregation. You're outcasts. Religiously, we just don't want anything to do with you. Spiritually, we don't want anything to do with you. And I want you to see, what, who, who does the first people the angels show, show up to? The shepherds. The unwanted. The outcasts. He doesn't show up to the priests. He doesn't go to Herod and go, hey, guess what? You know, he doesn't go to anybody else. He didn't go to the Romans. He went to, the Lord goes to the outcasts. So if you think he doesn't matter, you're first on his list. The outcast is first on his list. Aren't you glad? <laughs> and he says, don't freak out. I, mean, I don't know if you can imagine this. They're just kind of out there and all of a sudden, boom, all these angels. I mean, when it says fear not, it's like, don't freak out. You know, you'd freak out too if you saw what they were seeing. That would be kind of freaky. He said, behold. I love the word behold. He said, he goes, he, what he's telling us is that we need to be amazed at what's about to be told. We read this stuff like it's poems. We read this stuff like it's some lyric or some, some, some uh, symphony. And what the angel is saying is, guys, you need to be amazed at what I'm about to tell you because we angels can't even understand this. And we're freaked out that the, God, that the Lord is actually going to come down to you. And we're freaked out that he's actually sent us here to tell you this. So you all better behold. You know? think about what what I'm about to say. He says, behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which is for everybody. Bible says, joy to the world, peace on earth to men, and mankind upon whom his favor rests. Christ came to bring favor. He came to say, I favored you. Why does he favor you? Just because he wants to. Nothing you've done. Nothing you've done. Not to us, O Lord, but to you. By grace we're saved. It is not a work of ourselves. It has nothing to do with you just because, Christian. And some Christians need to hear that because we get so elevated in our knowledge, we get so elevated in our spiritual position that we think we're just amazing. And God, of course God loved me. Look at me now. (laughs) Yeah, but let's look at you then. You know what I mean? You weren't always like that. The Bible says, he tells his people, consider the rock from which you were drawn. And it doesn't mean that you go back and you're just, I'm, a, I'm a, just a sinner saved by, or just this you know, worm no longer man and I'm just lowly. What he's saying is you don't elevate yourself. The Spirit of God elevates you. You accept His identity, not your own. Paul says, it's a small thing that I'm judged by you, for I myself do not even judge myself. 
I don't judge myself. I don't even weigh myself. My judgment comes from the Lord. And he understood his identity. He understood I'm a son before my father. I'm, I'm called and I'm honored and I'm blessed. Not because of me, but because of him. That sets you free. You know what you're going to do? You're going to start liking you. When you realize how much Jesus likes you, you're going to start liking you. You're going to go, wow, I really like me. Well, why do I like me? Yeah, come on. You know? <laughs> I like me because Jesus likes me. And then all of a sudden you're going to start liking other people because you actually like yourself. You're, be, you're, you're, you're what you are to other people because you, you don't like yourself. And you're that way towards the Lord because you think he doesn't like you. Who told you that? He likes you on your worst day. Yeah, it's true. He loves you. He's for you. There's favor on you. Blessing and favor must be activated, but it's there. Here's blessing and favor. Here's you. The goal is get your life under the blessing and the favor. The blessing and favor is a gift. It's imparted. You're favored. More than a conqueror. Sons and daughters. Heirs of the eternal world. That's a fact. That is a truth. That's given to you. You didn't resume for it. It's on you. Doesn't look like it's on me. Well, then get in position and let it come forth on earth as it is in heaven. Begin to draw on your inheritance. And you do that by positioning. You're not going to be way over here and call down the blessing. God's not blessing that. He's blessing this. Grace is in the eye of the Lord, which means power. So the power of God is in the eye of the Lord. The power of God is where he's looking, not where you're looking. So the deal is to look where he looks. And there you'll find favor. Oh, there we go. That's crickets. That should marinate with you for a little bit. But grace is in the eye of the Lord. And that's where, again, we got to get our, our problem a lot of times as believers is we're convoluted in our thinking. We don't think kingdom-minded. And so the biggest thing the believer needs to do is begin to think kingdom-minded. We think carnally. We think like humans. We think like the culture. We think like our impulses. None of that stuff is the kingdom. We must begin to think and see as he does. If you were to think like the culture, you probably wouldn't like you too much. Or you would be so arrogant that nobody would want to be in the room with you. That's cultural thinking. But if you were to think like the kingdom, you would know that I'm a son before my father. That I'm created on purpose with a purpose. And that my position in Christ makes me an heir of the world to come and grants me the authority in this one. And as a son of my father, my life is to be about my father's business. All of your life would begin to orient with that identity because you know what it is. People are confused and then they get mad at God. You're trying to get God on your agenda. He's not on your agenda, Christian. He'll never be on your agenda. The key to the process is find out what his agenda is and do that. What is he saying? What is he doing? Let's begin to let that roll into your life. Get rid of all your fake IDs. Man, you want to do something for Christmas? Take all of the labels and throw them in the garbage can. That's your job. Yeah? We do this thing. I do inner healing with people. We do this exchange, and one of the exchanges is where God releases an identity to you. And it always blows the mind of the person that receives it. They almost have a hard time. I said, he's giving you this. What's, he, what's it saying? It's just like they're just almost beside themselves at actually what's being said to them. Because you're not saying it, he's saying it. He's calling it out. He calls you what you are before you get there. Get rid of the fake IDs, get rid of all the labels, the labels that people have put upon you, the labels that you have put upon yourselves, the limitations that you have lived by. And begin to live and believe, it's gonna take you a while and you're gonna to have to keep telling yourself this 
over and over again who you really are. But you have to keep saying it, saying it, saying it. I'm a son before my father. Some people have a hard time even calling God Father. Some Christians have a hard time saying the name Jesus. There's no mistake here. Jesus, 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 Jesus. When I'm talking about God, I'm going to tell you who he is. Jesus. He's Jesus. We have a hard time. We only reference God. Well, what does God mean? In a pluralistic culture, God can mean anything. This, I'm telling you who God is. I'm going to go right at it. It's Christ. Jesus Christ the Lord. That's right. This is what will change you in the coming year is getting rid of all of the stuff and say, I refuse to live by the labels of my past. I refuse to live by the labels that others have given me. That's the first step is clearing out the old labels. Some of you can't get a true identity because your closet's so full of false labels or your wallet's so thick or your purse is so overcome with false identity cards. You've got to get rid of the fake IDs and let them give you the real ones. Let them impart to you your identity and they begin to live towards that. There's general identities, guys. Okay, so we all have a certain identity in Christ, but you have a specific one. Do you know that? There's a specific one that God speaks over you. A specific name. I give them a name that nobody knows. He's going to tell you who you really are. He's going to blow your mind. That's what he does. I love it. Good news to all people. So the good news is for all people is love's for all people. Your love, God so loved he gave, it, he gave his only son. He didn't do it because of any other reason but for love. He didn't need to do it, but he did it anyway. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. Heaven's economy, the definition of love from heaven's mind is, I, is, is, is not a feeling. It's a choice. It's not an emotion. It's to seek the highest good. So when God's loving you, he's doing your highest good. What's the highest good we needed? We needed somebody to come in our place and save us. So God loved. He sought our highest good. Therefore, he did. That's what he's doing in your life. When he tells you what he tells you, it's because he loves you. When he's working in your life, you say, I, I prayed and God took that away from me and now I'm mad. I don't understand why God took that away from me because he's probably loving you. It's probably the best thing he could have done was to cut that branch out of your life. You know, or redirect you. You gotta, here's another one. You gotta understand that you are blessed. You cannot be defeated and you cannot be none blessed. Yes, come on. I didn't say you wouldn't go through seasons, but a season is not your lifestyle, and a season is not your reality. You may go from a transition point, you may go from here to here, and there may be a transition in between, but God will bring you from glory to glory. Your life is not to be a desert. You don't live in a desert, Christian. Your, your life is not empty. God draws you into a greater place, always. That's our destiny. That's who he is. His love is with us. Next slide. Well, somebody's in here wanting something. I was telling somebody the other day, I said, man, when people come to the room and hungry, I start saying stuff that aren't, it's not even close to my notes. So somebody's in here and they're going, oh, Lord, I just wish you'd speak to me. Or, you know, I don't know who's saying what. But the Holy Spirit's going, say that. Say that. Say that. I'm like, okay, all right. It doesn't have anything to do with my notes, but I'll say it. You were created for love and by love. God has, Jesus, God is love, the Bible says. And you were created by love and you were created for love. Sin is what's broken you. You are broken by sin. The choice to relieve leave God and the choice of others that brings sin. Sin is what, God is not bringing evil. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no darkness nor shadow of turning. 
So we say, oh, God did this to me. Says who? Your Bible is not telling you that. Well, I believe it. And, you know, the pastor down the street said it. Well, I don't care what they said. If it's not good and it's not perfect, it did not come from Jesus. It may have come from sin. It may have come from a broken system. Or the devil may be sending you FedEx packages. But I can assure you it's not, it's not God. And I have that on good authority. <laughs> Love must be embraced by faith. Love can be experienced. That's why I had that little experience encounter with you. I want you guys to know. It says he showers his love. He releases his love. Just like we received love this morning, you need to increase your capacity for that. Love is the gateway to the anointing. Until you learn to receive the love of God and let his love begin to move you, you cannot go deeper into the anointing. And I'll talk about the anointing in a minute. The anointing is the power of God, the presence of God, the atmosphere of the Spirit. There are realms in the anointing. Crickets. There are realms. I'm going to come over here. Moises is going to give me an amen. There are realms in the anointing. There are realms. Revelation. Wisdom. Understanding. Vision. Power. All kinds of things that God would impart to His people. But we can't even get through the gate of love. The gate of thanksgiving into His presence. We thank Him. We come through the gate. The anointing. We let His love begin to fill us. And some of you, you know, this is what we do in American churches. Oh, no, we don't want to lift our hands too high. You know? Don't want to sing too loud. Don't want to, we, want, we want the anointing to come and just give us a little buzz. Just give me a little warm feeling. <laughs> and let me go home with that. I'm good, Pastor. I'm good. I'm good. Go all the way. Fullness, not measure. Let it happen, man. It may, I know it's, it's not your world, but that is because it's his world. But you were made for his world, too. And so you just begin to experience and let the anointing push out. And just tell him more, more, more. Let it increase because the capacity begins to increase. And when you begin to receive his love and the capacity of his love begins to come, then you're able to carry more and you're able to go into places. It's just a crazy thing, man. The anointing cannot be neglected. You need a Savior. Some of us, you say you're saved. Yeah, but you need a Savior from yourself. Some of you need to be saved from some... Come on. You need, you need to be saved from some poor choices. You need to be saved from some habits. I didn't say you're not born again. But we need Christ to come and help us through some really bad things that we do. We have habits and hang-ups. Right? We need, to get, we need the Lord to help us with our habits and hang-ups. He will save you to the uttermost. Saved, healed, and delivered. That's what the word sozo, the Greek word for Savior, means. And some of us, we need to be saved from ourselves. We need to be saved from our circumstances. So Christ is Savior. Jesus is Savior. He's Christ. Anointed. Anointed. So the believer are, believers are called what? I'm gonna, it starts with a C. We're called what? Very good. Awesome, man. You guys are rocking. Right? The word Christian, the word Christ means anointed. Anointing means spiritual power. My question is, how dare we call ourselves Christians and not know anything about the anointing? How dare we call ourselves Christians and not know or even experience manifested power? How dare we? We shouldn't call ourselves Christians. The Bible calls them Christians in the book of Acts. The disciples were first called Christians in, the, in, in, in Antioch. So they were called Christians because they were manifesting something out of their life that represented the power of the anointing. Oh, we're just Christians. We think it's dutiful behavior. 
Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang out with those that do. Wear your shirt up tight, keep your hair tight, too, and everything nice and quiet. Make everybody pretend, pretend to everybody that everything's A-OK, -okay, and you're just a nice, dutiful Christian. Says who? Power. The kingdom is not in food and drink. It's in righteousness. It's in power. Manifested power. Power of the Spirit. Christ is Lord. He's the final authority. All of these things have to be encountered. So when I'm telling you to experience love, I'm telling you to experience the anointing. Love begins the anointing. The anointing's power. You start feeling his love. Oh, wow, I'm loved. I'm accepted. And all of a sudden, I feel like I can run through that wall right now. <laughs> you start feeling powerful. You start feeling wise. You start entering into the mind of Christ, seeing things, understanding things, accessing things, that, a world that you don't know anything of. And it comes through the anointing. Jesus died to give it to you. Yes. I'm of the position that if Christ died for me to have it, I dishonor him by not receiving it. If Jesus died to release the anointing and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to you, you are dishonoring him by not receiving it. It is to your benefit that I go, but if I, because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come. In other words, I've got to do this in order for you to have that. Oh, well, no, look, Kevin, we don't, we, don't, we don't want any of that. We have to learn this stuff. And you have to learn personal experience. There's corporate anointing and there's individual anointing. And it's in the anointing your, your identity will come. It's in the anointing that your calling will come. It's in the anointing that the power will come. God can give you wisdom into a business transaction that nobody else can see. He can bring things into your life that no one else will do. Will do. He, he just does it. And it's the, come on, man. Yeah. Salvation, authority, and anointing must be activated. We're going to do a prayer of agreement. So all of these things have to be activated. Salvation, anointing, what else do I got there? Authority. All of those things are yours, but you have to receive them. You see, salvation must be embraced. Jesus died for the whole world. Yes, he did. You got an invitation to a dinner party, but you got an RSVP. If you don't RSVP, your name's not on the list and you're not getting in the door. You say, but I got the invitation. It doesn't matter. You didn't RSVP. You can't show up at the kingdom with just an invitation in your hand. Your name's got to be in the book. You've got to respond to the invitation. Understand? Anointing is given to you. You have to activate it. You have to receive that and respond to it. The anointing is released. We must respond and press in and become more. Authority. You all have authority. Some of you, the devil drives like a Mack truck in and out of your house. Backs up to your garage every time you get something new. He loads it up and drives away with it. And you just kind of stand there and go, I don't know. You have authority. You don't even know your authority. You don't even know the power that you possess. Right? Gideon's a great story of that. People are getting raided all the time. Gideon's hiding in a, he's grinding, he's eating grain in a wine press. So he's eating grain in a wine press and he's hiding and the angel shows up and goes, man of valor. He's probably looking over his shoulder. Me? You know, I'm hiding down here with the rats, barely trying to eat because he was getting raided all the time. And God was showing him, you have authority, you have the power, you have the presence. This does not need to be this way if you'll take your rightful place. All of these things have to be activated. They have to be responded to. They're gifts, but you've got to open them. They're gifts, but you've got to receive them. 
So we're going to do a prayer. We're going to do prayer, two prayers, right? So I just want to do two prayers. We're going to close the circle. Two prayers and a blessing, right? Three points and a prayer. No, two prayers and a blessing. <laughs> the first prayer is just to, for those who do, are here and you've never received Jesus. You've never asked him into your heart. And I'm going to define this for you very clearly. We did a baptism. I tell this story a lot because this was like just really revelation to me, the way this person responded. I, I, I was talking to this person. Um, they're bringing us, oh, this is my friend, you know, talk to her, Pastor Kevin. Hey, she doesn't know Jesus, good luck, Don't, no pressure, you know. So I'm just, I was having a conversation with her, trying to find out where she's at, what she's dealing with, all this other stuff. And I was telling her the gospel and just telling her God loved her and like, you need to receive Christ. I said, that's, that's what's going to change. Nothing else is going to change until you go here. And she says to me, oh, I've prayed that prayer several times and nothing happened. And I told her, it's not a prayer, it's an exchange of your being. You must release your being. It's not just words that you're mimicking or mumbling. So that's why nothing changes. And she goes, I'm not ready for that. And I was like, well, that's probably why there's nothing changed, because you're not ready for that. You just want to say it. So what I want to tell you is as we're praying this, just, I want you to just release yourself to the Lord and receive from him. We're going to pray together as a group. If you're here this morning and you've never done that before, or you're saying, I don't know if I've ever done it quite the way you're describing, well, hey, just pray with us and just do the exchange. I'll lead you in the prayer. The church is going to pray with you. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. And I need a Savior. I may not understand everything, but I choose to believe this. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. All that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. All right, next slide. We're going to say this prayer as, a belief, as Christians. So I just ask if you guys would stand to your feet and we'd say this out like we mean it. Or at least present yourself that way. <laughs> say, this, say this with me. Jesus, I believe you can save to the uttermost. I believe that anointing comes through you. I believe that you are the final authority. I invite your salvation into my life. Save me from me. Deliver me from evil and everything that seeks to destroy my life. Hold the chair. I give you permission to do this even if it hurts. I release your anointing over my life, your power in every way, over the way that I think, the way that I live, the way that I love, and the way that I exist. I can do nothing without you. I declare your power over me. I am under the authority of one spirit, and his name is the Holy Spirit. No other spirit do I submit to. No other power do I yield to but yours. I submit to your authority without hesitation. Man, come on. Yeah. Well, let me bless you. Let me bless you. Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. Just receive it. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine down upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.